Hello, this is Gregory Payne, the co-director of the Emerson Blancarna Global Center. And we are here with a student of mine who's now in the real world, who's had uh, various types of career paths, and he's very, very young. Someone who introduced me to a lot of the advantages and aspects of Wikipedia. He also was my host when I went to India, met his lovely family, uh, got to uh, talk to uh, MIT at India, which, of course, is uh, their equivalent to MIT here. And so, Abhishek, welcome back to uh, the Global Center. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. And it's my privilege and honor to like come back to the place where it all the, my international journey started. Well, as you, as you know, you and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, as Chair of Communication Studies, someone committed to a lot of global pathways, you came along and I think piqued my interest, especially in India, but also with uh, a variety of uh, pathways in terms of diplomacy. I might add that since your involvement and since being here, public diplomacy is one of our more popular majors, and we continue to grow a group of people that are committed to finding what brings us together, what then what divides us. Um, I'm going to ask you, what attracted you to Emerson, and what have you done since leaving Emerson? As I said, and we look forward to having you as a fellow within the Global Center. Uh, Emerson, what attracted to me, Emerson was like the A, the, the amazing faculty, faculty members, the peers. So right starting with like you as a Dr. Payne, I read about you and I was like, this is something I want to do in my life. And that wasn't necessarily like enough because everybody looks great on the internet. But when I met Dr. Payne, like you, as well as the others, then it, uh, then I became like confident, like this is something I want to do. Because I feel like if I want to study something in today's modern day and age, I can go to YouTube, Wikipedia, Google, or like just sit at home and then get all the information. But what internet doesn't give us is the human connection and it doesn't give that customized and personalized uh, the attention training and then something which will cater to my own experience and needs. Uh, I had a very unique background. I, I was born and brought up in like a small rural community, small rural village barely a population of 100 people. Uh, there might be more people sitting pretty much in this room or from wherever people are listening this podcast. And I had limited to none knowledge of English. I had no idea about the international scope. For pretty much 14, 15 years of my life, I was uh, mostly homeschooled. So I had no idea that the other world exists outside my house. Uh, not just the country, like forget about like the international scene, even without outside my village also, I had no idea what is there. When I saw the, my, the trains for the first time, the flights for the first time, or even the escalator elevator for the first time, I must be like 14, 15 year old. And from there, my journey changed. And when I came to place like Emerson, like uh, before choosing a place, it was super important for me. I should go somewhere where people will understand like, okay what is the requirement of a particular student and then I'm really glad that I made that choice after coming here my life totally changed I had a lot of ideas I had a lot of potential but I had no idea how to utilize it through Dr. Payne and the Emerson College I got access to like the amazing programs uh, I've been to the Europe I've been to like back to India and then the saw India from like Dr. Payne's perspective uh, visited different schools, colleges, the Nepal project. I was really honored to work on the Nepal project as well. So I feel it is important. It's not about who I was. It was about 
telling me what I'm capable of and also giving me the tools to utilize my own potential. And I feel like uh, in any education institute, if any education institute can provide that, that can change someone's life because everybody is talented, everybody has potential. And yeah, that's why I feel Emerson College is such an integral part of my life. Well, that's very, very nice to hear. I know that you and I have a lot in common because I too have, just having come back from the Midwest, grew up in a, a rural area, you know, grades one through eight, less than 100, uh, eight people in my particular class. So I think both of us have this uh, interest in looking at the world and moving where we once were to where we are, of course, always being comfortable with going back. But when you came to Emerson, I think one thing that struck me, uh, we were doing a lot with civic engagement. And then we focused on diplomacy, public diplomacy, uh, because once again, almost like Sportscom, we found all of our students that were out actually doing things like Aaron Snipe and various others around 25. I know you kept saying to us we needed to do more with regard to uh, the the UN and we, we checked out and we actually took some students, as you know, down to the UN and met with the first female Saudi who was in charge of their mission. From your perspective, you've embraced communication. What is it about your time at Emerson working with uh, Global Center that has given you this tool chest where you're continuing to push the envelope? Uh, the first thing when I so when I started learning about like the the curriculum which was designed by the Emerson, I learned I understood the how and where I will be able to use it and utilize it, and in the global communication and the entire geopolitical or like international stage, United Nations was the first thing that came to my mind, and nobody had tried it before me, and I was like I want to do it, and specifically coming from like India who is here on like a student visa want to do something while studying here and I got the confidence and like also the ability because when I proposed this idea to you you were the first person like say like if it hasn't done till now it doesn't mean nobody should be doing it so that was like the biggest lesson for me as well like because normally uh, the way people or like in general we think is like has someone done it before and if it is like we tend to follow the path which is followed by others so for me, starting that journey from scratch and also going to New York, I have never lived in New York, uh, coming to you, coming to like the Dean and then the everybody like and then making a proposal, I want to go to the New York, stay there and work with the UN while I was like in the second year of my program. And I decided to do a capstone project there as well. So I that made a huge impact. And that opened the door for me. So even before graduating, I knew what I want to do in my life. So that so that I hope that answers the question. So it 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 just happened organically. It wasn't like one day I just decided. Like I was like the more and more I studied, I was like UN is a place to be. And then the whatever I learned at the Emerson, I can utilize it in the real world. And I showed it to like the people who work at the UN and the Indian mission to the UN as well. And they say like, this is fantastic. This is exactly what we need. I was able to conceptualize it, make it in a summary and like show it to them. Hey, this is what I have to offer. Are you interested in taking me? And then their answer was absolutely yes. Well, I know when you were here, you of course got to know President Pelton, who is a very strong advocate for us doing globally uh, important projects. Of course, Jan Roberts Breslin, who's now the interim provost, is someone who's your graduate dean who is very supportive. And I know that you would come and sit on the couch outside, and uh, you were someone, 
and I mean this in a very positive way, very persistent. And you would come in and you would ask me why, uh, why don't we do this? And I think oftentimes you were sort of the energy that I needed to say, well, we need to do more of this. Uh, your Wikipedia project, if you could tell us a bit about, because you were on this from the very beginning, and if you could tell us where you are now with Wikipedia as well as where you think we're going to be going in the future. Uh, sure. So Wikipedia, as uh, as you know, like it's one of the most consulted source of information on the web. The thing that fascinated me about Wikipedia, it's a democratization of knowledge. Somebody, uh, for example, New York Times or like Times of India, these big news agencies, I cannot just go and write an article for New York Times. There is an entire lengthy process for good reasons. I'm not saying something is good or bad, but Wikipedia gives ability to anybody who have like proper references, citations uh, to publish the information with a single click. And that concept, when I learned about it, it was amazing to me. Like anybody sitting in any part of the world can say whatever they want and then the entire world listens. So that democratization of knowledge like excited me. So I decided to like work with the Wikipedia team. I started as a volunteer contributor like almost 12 years back. And then the Wikimedia Foundation, which is the parent organization of Wikipedia, which runs the platform, uh, they decided to come to India and then start an office. So that's how my first interaction started with them. And my first thing to them was like, you are in India. This is amazing. What about local languages and culture? And the response was fantastic question. If you want to take a lead, it's by the people for the people. So I started localizing, Wikipedia already existed there in local languages, but I started like gathering volunteers, communities, bringing them together. And like, if we are, if I'm not going to write about my own culture on the internet, if I type something on Google, the first thing comes up is of Wikipedia. And if nobody from my village, my town, my culture, my community is not going to write about it, then who is going to write about it? So I started working on that and that's, uh, and then after 10 years right now, I am the director for Wikipedia Swastha project. Uh, it's one of the wiki project in which uh, our aim is to make sure people get ac accurate, accessible healthcare information. Uh, because in smaller communities, Wikipedia is like 911. People don't have access to like healthcare doctors or anything. So they come online. I'm not talking about it's a right thing to do or not a right thing to do. The simple answer is no, people should go to physicians if they need something but I'm talking about a situation in which people don't have that kind of luxury. So the bill and especially in the COVID times pandemic, the statistics show Wikipedia received 10 times more traffic than the World Health Organization, CDC, NIH, all these websites put together. This shows us people are going somewhere and if we can't redirect people to like the main sources, of course they should be going to the reliable sources, but if they are not going, we also need to have a plan B or like just go where people are going and give the information in the way people need. So that is what I'm doing right now. We work with the local languages. We work with the World Health Organization. Pitch is pretty simple. Wikipedia has an audience, but we don't have the content. World Health Organization has a lot of content or like any healthcare organization, but they don't have audience. Let's work together because Wikipedia is not a compet competition to anyone. So that's basically what I spend most of my time on to speak with different organizations who are sitting on amazing data, which is authentic, which is verified, which is genuine. And I tell them why they should partner with organization like Wikipedia so they can reach to billion people like this, like instantly they can get that kind of audience. I mean, the one thing I like about what you've talked about is, as Aristotle said, 
thousands of years ago that rhetoric was the ability to, to discover all the available means of persuasion. You've mentioned, though, that there could be some information that might not be accurate or at least be somewhat contestable. From your perspective as somebody who I know is embraces ethics, how do you deal with that ethical issue that some people would say, well, some stuff on Wikipedia is not accurate or it's uh, misinformation? Uh, that's a great question. So Wikipedia is not a perfect source and it is not intended to be a perfect source. It's think of it like a village pump or a community where some people come together and then they share something. And many people have a perception that Wikipedia has a really bad or incompetent staff who doesn't know how to write. Uh, but the ground reality is there are million plus volunteers who come online to write on Wikipedia to best of their knowledge. Are there, there are some bad actors in this, people who come there specifically to spread misinformation. And information might be sometimes incorrect or misleading, but that is corrected in a real time. You might see United States population somewhere here and there, but you will never see United States is a part of South Africa. And it is getting better and better every year. Like 20, 10 years back, 12 years back, everybody thought like, oh, Wikipedia is a fad. It is going to go away. There are like people going door to door selling encyclopedias. Uh, without taking the name, I want to share a case study. One of the biggest multi-million dollar encyclopedia decided to like give a fact check to Wikipedia. They say like, we are taking this article. Wikipedia has 10 errors in that particular article, but our encyclopedia has only one error. They published it through the mainstream media. By the time it got published, Wikipedia had zero errors and that printed encyclopedia still has those errors. So this is also power people have to correct it in the real time. So I feel coming back to your question, misinformation, how it is handled, it is by the people, for the people, and that's what makes it unique. If you see people are like, there is a competition to Facebook, Google, or like all these platforms, but who is competition to Wikipedia? People, Wikipedia or no Wikipedia, people just go to library. It means there is no a strong bond, or like organization which exists there. So, and then also, it also shows me like there are more good people as compared to bad people. If there are two bad people who come on Wikipedia to spread misinformation, there are 10 good people who will remove that information. So that's why, no, and if somebody is caught between that time frame, that's why it is important not to use Wikipedia as a final source of like not as ultimate truth, but to start the research there and then go to library and then other authentic sources. So in essence, it comes down to each person taking the information and coming up with critical thinking skills and deciding based on culture as well as their own norms and mores. One other area, Abhishek, I'd like to chat with you about is, and you've mentioned this, the, the emergence, the prevalence, the future with artificial intelligence. If you could share with uh, what you were sharing with me before, uh, some of the aspects of where we are, some of the advantages, as well as maybe some of the challenges. Sure. So the technological advances are happening rapidly. 20, 25, 30 years back, people had to go to the library to do a research. If they want access to like old news article, there was no way for any common citizen to have that. But now a uh, simple, any search engine, Google search or like a Bing, whichever platform people use, it's within a seconds you get that information. That was the first age in which like we are there right now. Uh, Wikipedia is the same thing like many people like have people uh, oh today's generation is getting everything for free of cost at the tip of their fingertips and it is not good because people should be able to like spend some time do some critical thinking 
and not necessarily everybody knows whatever they read might be right or wrong they just take it oh i read it on the internet so it must be true so that is the biggest challenge i feel no matter how much technology goes ahead if we don't teach the future generation to use their brain and as a society it will also create a bubble like if few tech companies we are seeing it in real time like with the acquisition of twitter by elon musk or say facebook like the bubbles are created and then people live in their own world like people who believe in like uh, people who are democrats they only see the posts that are like the dev- uh, favor democrats and same goes for republicans uh, so coming back to your question so i feel like the future is amazing but also there are challenges from ethical and the legal standpoint are you concerned that uh, sometime in the future that we will basically face a situation as we saw with Hal in 2001 where the computers basically say no we're not going to do this and we are sort of a victim of our own genius so to speak it might happen in a future but uh, yes and then the the current chat gpt which is like taking the internet by storm if you start speaking with it there is no way to figure it out it's a machine it gives you human like emotions it tells you if it is wrong it admits i am incorrect it asks what needs to be corrected it has some filters in place so yeah the future is like it depends on how we are going to use it it might be good or who knows robots might take over we never know who knows like so it comes down i guess to the human condition and trying to have some type of values that uh, either could be embedded within it or at least understand how to control it so abicheck from my perspective you've been a rock star in terms of what emerson provides in terms you know as i said you sort of tested the waters indicated we needed to move in a particular direction it's always been my philosophy and that of the department that we listen carefully to students uh, we wouldn't have a sports comm program or some of the other programs if we didn't listen to students if you were talking to the administration and the new president hopefully who's going to be in sooner uh, what would you say emerson should be doing as we move forward uh in terms of continuing to be a leader in communication of the arts uh first and foremost thing i see is the ethics as we talked about the technology and communication techno the, the technology which enhances communication is moving at a much faster faster pace uh, we need also leaders the educators who understand the implications of having somebody control of that communication tool so i feel like if emerson can offer something in which ethical training like in a communication platform what kind of things and it varies from country to country as well i'm sitting in the us what i'm saying might not be culturally relevant if i'm sitting in like some other part of the world so i feel that is something that i see a huge future and potential in that uh, in which students should be able to use their Uh, knowledge and then the art the, because communication is art and if technology is helping us to communicate at the masses at mass level then emerson should equip students to make rational decisions on how to use and why to use multiple communication platforms effectively for like mass education that's a very very good point i think one thing that uh, we've attempted to do in the uh, in the with the global summit that we just had which was quite a spectacle down in DC Woodward at the Watergate with Caddy K thought leaders which featured of course uh, distinguished alums as well as uh, leaders in the profession uh is to try to utilize technology but at the end of the day through deliberative dialogues to be able to refocus on the art of communication and instead of having like a powerpoint synthesized new order type music show that we go back to the art of presenting. So hopefully what we can do is 
continue on the wave in which you've pushed us. And what I would invite you as we get more centered in terms of the Global Center in D.C. with uh, Emerson Polling, et cetera, you'll be a very important resource because one thing that you've always done is been able to culturally appreciate the world around us with the Nepal State Department Project and others and then be a part of where we need to go in terms of being effective and ethical in our change agent advocacy. So on behalf of the, the Global Center, your department at Emerson College, we want you to know we're very proud of you. And thank you very much for being on this edition of Pain on Politics. Thank you so much for having me. And absolutely, it's my privilege. And whatever I'm doing right now, the credit goes to you and the entire Emerson College community. So once again, thank you so much. I think when I think of you, some people say, gee, you have people who are pushing too far. And my response is, there, you need people that push too far so that you know how far you can push. Thank you very much.